over the line! Hello and welcome to Over Under Movies, the film podcast where we choose one overrated movie, one underrated movie, connected by theme, uh, style, or any other way we see fit, and we argue and debate about them. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Ryan Oliver. This is Octay Ege Kozak. This podcast is also brought to you by ThePlaylist.net. We're a part of the Playlist Podcast Network. You can find all the episodes at ThePlaylist.net. All right, and on this episode, it will be Octay's picks, as he said in our previous uh, podcast, that we would be doing a, a sort of a Finding America double feature and... You know, uh, or in other words, road tripping across the country type of movies. Um, but what's really fun about this one is that these movies directly speak with each other in that the one that came before, uh, which is our under, or the one that came first, our underrated um, or I'm sorry, our overrated movie, Easy Rider, um, is a direct inspiration to essentially a lot of what happens in in our over in our underrated movie. I can't talk. So, um, Octa, you chose Easy Rider as your overrated pick and um uh, it might be much to the chagrin of, of any of those, you know, pre-70s movie buffs uh, that, you know, see this as such an iconic film. But um, I think we'll have lots to agree. What, why did you choose Easy Rider as your overrated? You know, this used to be a hell of a good country. I can't understand what's going on with it. Man, anybody got chicken, that's what happened. Hey, we can't even get into, like, a second-rate hotel. I mean, a second-rate motel, you dig? Don't they think we're going to cut their throat or something, man? Like, they're scared, man. Oh, they're not scared of you. They're scared of what you represent to them. I mean, I think, uh, first of all, it will be kind of being contradictory and being a contradictorian for basically no reason if you just um, undermine the, the cultural, the massive cultural... Uh, an artistic impact uh, Easy Rider had on world cinema and and mostly American cinema. It basically, I mean, there's a reason why uh, Peter Biskin's book is uh, about the the 70s uh, renaissance of of dark personal filmmaking, the best decade in American cinema, basically, as far as I'm concerned, as far as a lot of other film buffs are concerned. Uh, there's a reason why that book is called Easy Rider's Raging Bulls because it Easy Riders is supposed to be the beginning of that era and Raging Bulls is the end of it. So um, the whole independent, uh, cerebral, low-budget, uh, kind of like the, the new generation of out-of-filmmakers out, uh, who are working away from the studio system, the way that became as mainstream as it got and it basically infiltrated the studio system uh, during the 70s that basically... Uh, the the epicenter of that is Easy Rider. So it's 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 by picking it, it as a as kind of a soft overrated. Uh, I want to first of all start with the the, the cultural um, impact of that film and how the way it was you know financed uh, independently, the way it was shot, the way it used um, uh, popular music as a soundtrack. It didn't use a score. Um, the the kind of uh, guerrilla filmmaking that they did and how that how that whole movie came together despite the fact that it was just like this you know a uh, drug binge that was uh, that eventually got got filmed and edited and uh, turned into a coherent film somehow is is kind of a miracle and it's 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 cultural significance is kind of a miracle as well 
when you look at uh, how it was shot. But, um, you know, on the show, we talk about a lot of films and uh, these are kinds of films that 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 mostly Eric's pick, Eric picks. So I felt like maybe I should come up with one on my own uh, where we uh, where you, Eric, you, pick, you you sometimes pick films that where we understand uh, you included. Um, we understand the cultural significance at the uh, that that it must have had at the time. Mm. For example, one of the, the last uh, two episodes ago, we did Pink Flamingos, where we talked about, you know, we understand why this became mainstream for people who were looking for something different but it has like really no real entertainment value today because right. of like how jaded we became and how like the you know how the, the shock value of that film doesn't really like hold much water anymore so there's really not that much left and i don't think easy writers really uh like that there's a lot of amazing stuff still in easy writer that that has that entertainment value and the main things that i want to talk about about the way that it it, it deals with the idea of that abstract idea of finding America, finding the real America. And um, to me, it still has that soul and it still has that spirit. And I can completely understand where the film itself come, is, is coming from. But the way that time has passed, it's, it's, it is a film that, uh, as opposed to the greatest films of the generation that it kind of inspired, it does feel more dated. It's not like a, a taxi driver or a godfather or, a, you know, come up with your favorite network come up with your favorite films from uh the 70s it is a film that kind of feels as it's age now then now, now you watch it it has mm-hmm. it has it has some pacing problems and i think the reason why it it spoke to so many people at the time it came out is because the main characters are are so kind of bland and underdeveloped they're kind of blank slates so you can kind of project your feelings about what's going on in the film about you know finding american going out there on, on the open road and uh as albert brooks says in lost in america you know dropping out of society <laughs> um and and all that is it's kind of like if you can't really click with those characters if you don't project yourself onto them they kind of become um kind of blank slates and it, and it becomes harder to like really be engaged into their story and then the whole thing kind of becomes more episodic and it it, it starts to depend on what happens in each scene like for example not much happens in the uh, the hippie commune scene so that kind of drags the pacing down but then of course uh, we'll talk about that in detail a little bit later of course jack nicholson gets into the picture and then it just like comes to life with such virility yeah and uh so it has those like ups and downs but my point about it is that i don't think over time especially the way that it's dated it's 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 a it's a good to great film but it it does fall short of that kind of uh, masterpiece on the pedestal of cinema kind of uh reputation that it has so that's that's kind of my point so but anyway i, I want to find out what you guys think about it uh did you watch this film multiple times how long has it been since you last saw it and what's what's your thoughts about it now that you watched it in 2016 i saw it mm, probably like late high school early college uh and i'd only seen it the one time before so this is the second time watching it Um, And I definitely see a lot of the points that you're making. Um, I still very much enjoy the journey of this movie, like uh, sluggish pace and all. But um, I guess I would akin to like whether I would deem it overrated or not. I think I would still fall on the not exactly spectrum, but it's kind of the way I feel about Citizen Kane. It's Mm -hmm. Citizen Kane is not a movie that I, you know, it's it what it did for cinema and how it changed cinematography 
and story structure and all that um, is like you have to respect it. But it's not a movie that I particularly, you know, put on and be like, I feel like I'm going to watch Citizen Kane. And I could probably say the same thing for Easy Rider, the, just the, the influence and the, the look of the films that preceded it and Laszlo Kovacs cinematography, oh, all yeah. of that, like just it's incredible. And I just think that um, I, I can't dismiss it and you're not being dismissive of it either. Um, but I, I definitely see a lot of what you're saying in it. Yeah, I'm, I, you guys have really laid it out nicely. I have to mostly agree. Although I will say there's a time and a place for Easy Rider in anybody's life. And it's usually stoned or in college or in your <laughs> 20s. You know, like the, the whole aspect of a lot of what we are going to get into, I think, with our underrated pick, which Octay has referenced already, uh, Lost in America, is so much of the point of Easy Rider seems to have ultimately or the maybe not that it's a movie that imparts lessons, Easy Rider, but, you know, the takeaway is not necessarily like freedom is everything or freedom is great because like what that's part of what's so funny about something like lost in America too, is that like, they just almost seem to have forgotten the ending of this, of easy rider, you know, the, yeah, it, 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 like that's kind of a Scarface. Like, oh yeah. There yeah. We go. Oh my God. Yeah. We're on the safe. What is the chips, chips and Coke? Chips and Coke? Yeah. <laughs> what is that thing where, when you say something at the same time? Oh, oh is that a saying? I've never heard that before. Is but it a saying? Anyway. That might be like a European thing anyway. Maybe so. But either way, yeah, it's the Lost in America is basically fans of Scarface. So like, yeah, wait a minute. Do, do you remember this doesn't really work out in the end for, for them? <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it really doesn't. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Easy Rider for me when I first saw it was was at that right time. And like. To see a movie where it's like, hold on, like a young Jack Nicholson, Dennis Hopper, Peter Fonda, they're just sitting around a fire, half this movie, smoking joints and just smoking talking. Actual, actual weed, by the way. Oh, yeah, they, yeah. They I were mean, actually smoking weed, which and, you can tell. <laughs> and those scenes are really are really great because they feel real. They feel, um, and not in the sense that, yeah, they're not really faking it. They basically were just filming what they were doing in a lot of ways. And that's... Yeah. That's what's, you know, I think part of what people were responding to the freedom in the filmmaking that Dennis Hopper embraced. Um, One of the things I really remember about um, Peter Biskin's book, Easy Rider, Raging Bulls, which is a really fun read, is that I think he talks about the, the cinematography in particular, how it was essentially like really unprofessional to allow like lens flares or solar flares into the frame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Dennis Hopper. And they shot said, directly into the yeah, sun. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They said, fuck it. Yeah. He embraced that is like for him, it was like using uh, another color of paint to like create his image. And I think that, that and the other sort of um, interesting stylistic elements, like uh, and the, the editing, like like yeah. you always, the, the tradition is that you just cut or you dissolve. Right. But he but he does that. They do this thing where it's just like it does this like flashing, the staccato like the, rhythmic the, the staccato thing. rhythmic yeah. flashing in between the scenes, which really gives you this like like kind of out of body experience and really really puts you into uh, the mind frame of the the protagonist, where it's just like the past and the present don't really yeah don't really matter it's 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 whatever moment that you're in at the same time like all these the past and the present kind of almost like gel like merges in together into yeah it's yeah exactly it's like they're like jamming into each other so that's why you get that like um that that effect that staccato effect so there, there's there's some there's there's like really uh revolutionary experimental uh stuff in there that that somehow turned it into this like mainstream hit that started this whole uh 70s dark cinema hollywood movement and just like every other kind of daring experimental um kind of projects you know there's stuff that really works there's stuff that 
that where the same kind of approach like kind of doesn't like the, the for example like eric every pretty much every single scene you see the ones that have jack nicholson in them are a lot more fascinating but even the yeah. scenes between just uh dennis hopper and uh peter fonda just sitting around the, the campfire and just shooting the shit and just talking about what they're gonna do or what finding america really means what their what their uh what their goals are and uh that stuff is all fascinating and that stuff that's the kind of like uh unconventional experimental look at at shooting a dialogue like an improvisational dialogue scene like that and then there's stuff where they have the same approach to for example um they just grabbed a bunch of like handheld 16 millimeter cameras and went out and shot the Mardi Gras without any permits and went to the um, the cemetery, the New Orleans cemetery without any permits. And they shot, shot a bunch of stuff. Half of that stuff, they're just high. Like, for example, the whole scene where Peter Fonda's crying yeah. and just just sobbing and, like, talking about his mother and stuff like that. He wasn't acting there. They just, like, turned on the camera and he was, like, high on acid and he was just he was just rambling. And there's there's stuff like that where it's just, like, you can see the cultural significance of it, and I guess partly because uh, we're not, or at least I'm not, you know, in my early 20s anymore, and in that kind of like a, a like a fuck everything, man. We're gonna drop out of society and go on to find myself in the street, in the in the in the highways, and the romanticizing of that. Maybe partly because I don't have that have that anymore. Maybe partly because I'm like I analyze maybe sometimes a bit too much the structure of a story or the structure of a film. And uh, yeah, there's there's stuff like that, like the Mardi Gras and the hippie commune that like really drag the pacing uh, of the film down. But it doesn't stop it from like like what Ryan said, like it doesn't stop it from being being good to great. Like I'm not I'm not putting uh, Easy Rider down at all. I'm just kind of saying that, you know, in the maybe in the pantheon of 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 the, the great 70s films, the one that began it maybe is not that much of a masterpiece right i mean for me i'm even more fond of rewatching uh other uh, like bonnie and clyde or the graduate which preceded yeah. easy rider preceded. Yeah, yeah there was the like, real like the, the like the, the like the first baby steps exactly he's gonna bring that up too especially the way that both bonnie and clyde in this movie sort of end almost mm. very eerily similar to each other yeah yeah, yeah. Totally a brutal, like shock endings, or I'm sure that would have been at the time. Like that's, that's the other thing is this movie just sort of ends easy rider. And you're just like, that's another element that felt experimental. Like, and that, and that, that, that relates the to their, their, that relates to their influence, their, their, uh, French new wave influence where it's like a lot of French new wave films that just stop. They don't end. Right. Like right, they don't so come to an end. It's just like the, the, the runtime runs out basically right. right totally <laughs> so so it kind of ends like that but it, but it also ties into the the themes of the film which like you said it's like it's kind of like a scarface effect like people maybe people idolize the ideas behind the film than the actual tone of the film itself because the film itself the the philosophical approach the film has especially uh if you look at it through the the eyes of uh the Jack Nicholson character uh who's kind of stuck in between this like you know, he's like a straight-laced lawyer, but he, he is also kind of like a he's, he's he might be wilder and more open-minded. Like he's that like this guy is more awake in terms of like the how hard it is to like really drop out and like really find freedom in a country that's supposed to be like uh, founded on those ideals. The whole like he knows that it's an unwinnable battle, right? In a way that he says that you know they're not gonna accept you. They're not gonna like. Uh, you know, they they talk about freedom and patriotism and all that, like all those ideals, but their their minds are in in a prison. 
they they want things done in a certain way they want they don't want things to change and they're going to punish you uh because they see how truly free you are and they cannot get there and that's the main reason they hate you and then all that stuff is fascinating but the film itself overall has this kind of bleak outlook towards yeah the ideal of becoming truly free i mean it's a film that basically says that in this country in this society it's kind of impossible yeah like there's too big of a cost essentially for it and or there's always going to be someone on the other end that doesn't like what you represent i think that's another element of what jack nicholson says in that same scene is they're scared of what you represent and that 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 line to me still really rings true and still gives easy rider like vitality makes it still worth worth watching you know like mm-hmm. that's why i'm glad we're not all slagging it off cuz it it does have moments like that that resonate still um mm-hmm. jack nicholson i think when they first meet him uh you know in the uh, the the prison where they find him he they make a deal for you know jack nicholson's character being a lawyer to get them out of the prison and he makes a reference to like well, I can get you out of here unless you've killed anybody. Well, unless, you know, only if you've killed anybody white, you know, and it's like, how? Mm. and it's not like really things have changed that much. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, we, things have, we've progressed, you know, things have happened. That, that's, that's the timeless still. value that Easy Rider still has. Maybe right. the, maybe the style and the, um, the narrative approach is a little bit, uh, dated, but the themes that it, that it has, uh, keeps it relevant right i mean they're essentially killed in the end but i by people that i think we would uh unaffectionately describe as trump supporters nowadays yeah exactly and that's the first thing that pops into your mind the second they pull up you know i've seen this movie like at least 20 30 times and the this was the first time when i felt maybe because of like the personal experience of what we've been through during the 2016 election season but that was the first time when that scene popped up and i felt like an actual feeling of fear and unease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, there you go. It, it still remains today. Like I had a similar... That's what reminds me that the, that the themes, that what it, what it deals with, uh, that conflict that it deals with are still very much relevant. And that, that sense of alienation that people felt then, like you're, if you feel that at all today, which is totally understandable, I think we all deal with that in some form, is... It's like we're not the only ones who have felt that like through the generations people this has been going on. It's another um, I I shouldn't call it exclusively an American thing. It's just for sort of filtered through that lens and easy rider. But it's really it's just like that's a a, like a modern living thing or, you know, a human existence thing. And the movie really gets at that, like in a lot of scenes. And it's not just dialogue like it's all there in the story itself. And that's there is a lot like that to appreciate. I think what a lot of people really get hung up on or or look so fondly at with easy rider is those sequences of like the freedom of like there's so many sequences of them riding their motorcycles right and they're mm-hmm. just sort of like having a good time and playing oh here comes the band they're they're playing the weight right now or here or you know, to be this, wild yeah exactly right all those things that like, it's a cliche now exactly, like anybody yeah. who uses them yeah yeah it's, it's, uh, it's one of those that think yeah. of this movie it's um, one of those that you have to like kind of recheck your brain and realize that this is the one that started it. Like like whenever I watch Lawrence of Arabia and you see the 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 desert and that the, the music swells up. Yeah. And there's a part of you that just goes like, "Ah, that fucking cliche again." And then you realize, "No, no, this is the one that made the cliche." So it's still great. But but you have to kind of check yourself. And and there are moments like that. There are a lot of moments like that in Easy Rider when you watch it um with contemporary eyes when you just like kind of roll your eyes at how cliched uh the idea of like playing you know born born to be wild while 
riding the motorcycles. And then, of course, you have to check yourself and say, like, oh, oh yeah, this is the one that, that started it. Right. I think for me, what helps me through those uh, narrative uh, dry patches is sort of uh, I, I, I try to imagine this more as like, what I think this movie does incredibly well is sort of that Herzogian feel of like the merging of documentary and narrative. So it yeah. just, it feels mm-hmm. like it's a movie it's frozen in its time and of its time. And so that just like, as a relic of that, I, I'm able to, you know, enjoy it and push through those moments that um, maybe dragging down the narrative. If you just view it, if I view it more as a, as a documentary, if if you, if you do that, it's, it's very hard. I mean, there's a lot of those Herzog films and easy writer kind of shows that when you have that kind of approach of merging of those two styles it's very hard to get away from having your film end up as as episodic yeah I, that's fair that's fair that's i mean true. would you would you guys agree that the easy writer as, as with, with all of its like great specific scenes the 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 film altogether is 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 like is very yeah. episodic they, they ride their motorcycle to a different place and yep. then they they hang out in that place for a certain amount of time and then they camp overnight and then they ride their motorcycle to another place so yeah it is it is episodic yeah i it's true yep by design and i could see where that is a uh, becomes like that th- therein lies some of the pacing issues that that result in that and i think that's what people that want to discover this movie today um maybe younger audiences than us or anybody that's just never seen it that might be an issue for them and um i think that's that's sort of where we we're coming at in this episode is like we're acknowledging certain flaws that keep it from being something that's truly great but we cannot deny the like that this is an iconic movie and it's an important movie it really um allowed uh, like the, it might have been really negative in terms of a thematic look at freedom or the idea of freedom in this country, but really in terms of what it did for filmmakers at that time, like it opened the doors for them to realize that they could experiment in a narrative cinema. They could merge um, documentary with with fiction. You know that that's that's so much of what makes the '70s as a film period alive and exciting still to this day is that you can go back and see a tiny little movie and be like, wow, this was like a big thing back then. You know and um, that, that all comes from easy rider. And it's sort of like, I feel, I feel like this episode is more of like a hat tip to it. You know, we acknowledge it. Yeah. Yeah. We acknowledge it. And, and we kind of like understand that it has flaws, maybe it didn't age that well, but I, I feel like it's still, I mean, first of all, uh, right off the bat, if you're a film student and or if you're a film buff, you've never seen easy Rider. I don't want any of this to like discourage anyone from Definitely. watching it. It's an important film that should be watched. And and uh, as opposed to like films like Pink Flamingos or in your case, Eric, like the first The Evil Dead, right. where you kind of say that it, it has no it only has uh, it has no entertainment value. It only has kind of like uh, study value. And I don't think Easy Rider is uh, that far into that. It's a it's a it is an engaging and it is an interesting film. And uh, I do also want to kind of mention my thought about how um I feel like the moment Jack Nicholson's character shows up and until the moment he dies, yeah. that section is a masterpiece. I don't see anything there that either lags or, you know, even the, even the, even the kind of stretched out uh, dialogue-free scenes where they go into this diner and they can just sense the danger around them mm. because these girls in the diner, these little teenage girls are like, intrigued by them and you see all these rednecks who are just like fuming and uh it's a dialogue free scene but it just like gets the point across so perfectly so it's not in a weird way it's not only the nicholson dialogue or the nicholson stuff but the scenes that he's involved in the stuff that happens 
apart from him are fascinating too. So I don't know if he was like kind of like a like a muse for the good luck charm for the production or what, but but that whole section that he's involved in is is to me is a masterpiece. That's that's the if the if the rest of the entire film would be like that, it would have been it would have been a timeless masterpiece for me. But uh, but I think I think it also goes back to like how Hopper and Fonda's characters are not really that insightful or interesting. They're they are kind of like blank slates. You you do project your 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 kind of your opinions and your emotions onto them. Right. And they're they're kind of simple um dichotomous characters. Like P- Peter Fonda is the guy that is like the sensitive one and he actually considers like he's got a lot of empathy in him. Mm-hmm. Like he's always kind of trying to do the right thing. Just like has he wants to have a very clear sense of like morals. But the mm-hmm. Dennis Hopper character is the free, the really wild guy. You know, he's the mm-hmm. Dennis Hopper character as we have come to know as we came to know, know him, you know, from this yeah. time on. And um he's the he's the wild man, the wild card. And yeah, they are sort of you they're very easily um understandable or relatable if you find yourself you can kind of easily put people into two camps like that. But yeah, the Jack Nicholson stuff is really where the movie comes to life. I mean, just the the scene alone where he takes the first drink of the morning and he, he just like howls at the sky is, yeah. is so over the top. But so, you know, that's what Jack Nicholson often does great and does so well in his like most memorable performances. And um, Easy Rider is definitely one of them for sure. I mean, it's just just a trip seeing these young these guys so young. And uh, I love that sort of time capsule element of going back to movies like this, like mm-hmm. actors that we're so familiar with now and that they kind of represent a. Uh, uh, a cliche uh, or, you know, there's a cliched sense of what we expect from them, but you, you can, can erase all that and see where it all kind of was getting started or um, you know, for Jack Nicholson, anyway, Dennis Hopper had been acting for, for decades before this movie, but um, mm-hmm. you know, you see him bloom as a hopper, as a, as a filmmaker. So um, yeah, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to um, dive yeah. into or a lot to respect about easy rider. And it, and it does still have some really great moments in it. So there's no denying that. And and as the uh, the cop in Lost in America says, Nicholson wasn't even supposed to get supposed to get that part. Oh yeah. <laughs> what do you, what do you think about that, Ryan? What do you think about uh, that that whole section of Nicholson being the best part of the the whole film? He's he's a he's a born fucking star. Like when that <laughs> seriously, when you yeah. for when you first encounter him, hungover on that bed, and it's just like this guy. I I just I could imagine. I wish I could be sitting in a theater in 1969 and be like. Who is that? Yeah. He's gonna make it someday because he 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 lights it up. He just lights it up. So that's yeah. Here, here. I he's incredible in it. Well, uh, what do you say? Should we swing on over to our to our underrated pick? Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. And uh, just one final note. I want to say that um, uh, even though I picked this as an overrated one, maybe I feel like hopefully this will provide for us to kind of pull easy rider down from like the timeless masterpiece that you have to see kind of like eating your cinematic vegetable status down to like, it's, it's, it's kind of a great film that, that, that deserves to be seen that has some flaws, but it has some fascinating, amazing stuff in it as well. Maybe people who haven't seen, you still, still haven't seen it in a weird way. It might, it might help them enjoy it a little bit more like the loose kind of mental state that you need to have to watch Easy Rider instead of sitting down in this rigid state and saying like, okay, this movie's supposed to be like a timeless masterpiece. It's supposed to be perfect. Kind of like maybe what happened to Ryan with uh, Citizen Kane. And how many times has that happened to us when, right. when people like some of the great uh, films in, in, in film history, you know, even the biggest 
film critics or the the biggest film buffs um some some classics some films that everybody agrees is a masterpiece is going to slip by you and then you're going to keep like years are going to pass and you're going to keep hearing like this movie's a masterpiece is one of the greatest movies ever made and here's how important it is you need to sit down and watch it and i feel like especially with easy rider that kind of a mental state to sit sit and watch is like i don't think you're going to get the f- quite full enjoyment out of it and i feel like us saying maybe it's a little bit overrated, maybe it has some like parts that drag, uh, might actually cause some people who've, who've never seen it to be like, hey, just, I'll, just, I'll check this movie out. Maybe it's not a masterpiece, but it's going to be interesting, you know? Totally. And, then, and then send us hate mail when they're like, you guys suck, this movie's great. <laughs> I, I have no, like, you know, people who say this movie's a timeless masterpiece, as great as it is. And there's a character in the next movie that thinks it's a timeless masterpiece as well. So, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe we should move on to that. That's our cue. There it. you go. So, yeah, um, jump ahead. What are we looking at here? About um, 1985. Six, yeah, so 16 years later. And um, in, in 1985, as Octa said, and here we have Albert Brooks, uh, Lost in America. How are you? Good evening. Um, my wife and I have dropped out of society, and we were going to spend the night... This is the way I do it. And we were going to spend the night kind of camping out and sleeping out under the stars, but we're getting remarried tomorrow, and we want something real special, so the best bridal suite. Do you have a reservation? Well, I just dropped out of society. I kind of live moment to moment. I really don't do reservation things anymore. Well, we do, and uh, I'm sorry, but the bridal suite is occupied. I'll tell you what, I've worked with computers in college and I know that sometimes they're complicated machines. Why don't you just run it through one more time? Who knows? I think I know what you mean. I'll just check. Nope, it's occupied. And this film is, uh, as I said, it's a, uh, this movie and Easy Rider speak directly to each other. But let's just go right to Octe and um, why is this your underrated pick? Well, I think I have uh, quite an affection for this film the way that I have an affection for uh, Albert Brooks. Uh, but the main reason I maybe relate to the themes of this film more is because um, I feel like Easy Rider... Uh, uh, deals with the the external conflict that you um, hit upon when you're trying to find America, when you're trying to find freedom. You know, there's, it's about like how the people around you don't understand you, so they rail against you, and then at the end they get killed by by outside conflict, by actual people. And I think Lost in America deals with this this same kind of bleak uh, situation of like the impossibility of finding real freedom. Uh, in America, despite uh, the ideals of the country are, and it deals with it uh, in a mental way. In a, in, it, it deals with the mental state, like your own mental prison, about like how people, especially in the 80s, when uh, materialism and greed became the centerpiece of the of the whole country's uh, subconscious. It's it's a film about how when you're raised to be materialistic in this culture, your own mental prison will not eventually allow you to drop out of society and do the same thing that the, the, the guys in Easy Rider does. And this is kind of like the, the same, the, it's kind of the same exact story. And it kind of ends with, you know, I don't want to spoil too much because I, a, a I don't think a lot of people have seen this 
film and uh some other films are usually brought up when people talk about like um when when people talk about albert brooks filmography mm. but uh but this is a film that kind of has the same structure and it kind of ends with uh, in my mind what is a death scene but it's kind of a mental death scene it's kind of like <laughs> it's it's like giving up it's like realizing that there is nothing out there but this like drudgery of you know work and amassing uh, material and trying to find some semblance of uh, happiness out of that. And this is, you know, just to give you guys, if you haven't heard of it, uh, a little bit of a synopsis. It, it's basically the story of uh, this really uh, successful, as far as materialism is concerned, uh, this really successful ad executive uh, played by Albert Brooks. He doesn't get the uh, the promotion that he wanted. He has a meltdown in his office, which is a hilarious fucking scene. Um <laughs> And then, you know, quits his job, convinces his wife to quit the job. And they're like, okay, we're going to drop out of society just like Easy Rider. You know, Easy Rider is his favorite, favorite movie. And then they, they get on like a Winnebago and they start just like basically their plan is to just go out there in America. And their first stop where they're like, okay, let's go out in the wilderness. Let's go camp. They're, the, they're the first kind of opportunity they have to like truly let go. They're like, ah, maybe let's get a big hotel in vegas and do the whole thing and then you know one thing leads to another they lose all their money and they they realize being a working class stiff in the middle of nowhere might be at least as miserable as they were before so um so that's that's kind of like the loose thread of this film but the thing that i love about it is uh number one how incredibly funny it is i mean we'll, we'll get to this but there's a scene towards the middle of the film that to me is one of the funniest scenes in film history. <laughs> I think you guys know which one I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, this is an incredibly funny film. Has the best dry wit of Albert Brooks out of I feel like out of his filmography. It's my favorite Albert Brooks film. I have an incredible soft spot for um, for uh, defending your life, but mm. uh, but I think this one kind of edges it out because of how incredibly well uh, written and acted it is. And and the number two is that it's I find it fascinating that. It deals with the same themes that Easy Rider deals with, but is it the conflict is inside? The conflict is in the mind. Uh, that like when you're when you've been groomed to be like a businessman, you've been groomed to be like this American success story of like cars and houses and money, but then you, you take shit from you know everyone around you in your in your uh, professional world. Like you create this mental prison for yourself, and even if you want to kind of get out of it, maybe it's not possible. So I don't know. What do you guys think about this? Uh, have you have you ever had you ever seen it before? And uh, when you saw it now, um, what do you think? Go ahead. Uh, this, this is my first time seeing it. Um, I I liked it overall. I don't. Um, I think those those themes are all there. Um, I I think I don't know. It was more. I don't know what the comparison would be i guess maybe it was more like national lampoon's vacation e than i would have liked it to be even though mm. i enjoyed that movie like a lot of there are like, elements of that it's not as goofy and uh no no no, no. uh and, and you know he's like he's like a smarter clark griswold but it's almost just as cringy the way he tries to get out of certain situations or he is he pretty just much as much going. of a shithead though yeah like, it is absolutely like there's the arrogance but he's more intelligent of it um but i think uh like i i guess there was just some like plot beats that it's like as much as like the 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 implications of the story, like you said, that like finding America about it got me through parts where it's like, oh, their first stop's going to be Vegas. Wonder what's going to happen there, <laughs> um, you know, something like that. And so it's like, oh, well, that that's kind of exactly what I expected. Yeah, to it's happen. a little predictable. I can little, definitely see that. Yeah. And then the the ending, um, 
while fascinating is also unsettling and not necessarily in a good way for me. Um, I, I feel like they were let too off the hook in a weird way. Not necessarily that, you know, you you did a very good job laying out like that. There's this hell of they're never going to find happiness, but there was still like a comfortable amount of living uh, mm-hmm. that they were able to find themselves back in uh, that. Not a lot of people who took the chance that they did uh, would find themselves in. Uh, so that there was a little bit of like unease. I think with it's that. a little bit of a cop out. A, a little bit. Um, I think those greater implications that you mentioned make it not a cop out. But I was just like, I, I couldn't think of a way myself how I would end it better. But it made me go, mm, I'm not sure how that how that sits. But like okay. overall, there there are individual uh, scenes, uh, especially that one you you mentioned about midway through the movie and and the scene where he he quits and just his like. We're gonna go find. We're gonna go find ourselves. We're gonna. We're going off the grid. But it's like he doesn't even really know exactly how to do that. <laughs> yeah. So they just, just go to all these cities, and you know, it's, they're not yeah, really and, you know, and not far. The they made it to Arizona, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like from LA. It's like what two states over. Yeah. That, that, that's kind of like the self-aware, pathetic part of it, and and it kind of ties into what we were talking about: how people romanticize easy writer and here's a character who kind of displays that exact same thing we were talking about like he just took all the all the romanticized parts of easy writer finding america finding freedom and just kind of uh ignores all the horrible shit that those characters have to go through <laughs> totally. i will say it's predictable before uh, swinging the ball over Eric as predictable as you know the gambling scene was I, I also as much as Albert Brooks is great I have to point out how hilarious Julie Haggerty like that is yes. in that scene. like that's her like big uh, her big shining moment in the movie and she's <laughs> I just I just love this one fun. one moment where they've lost everything and she's still like 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 a like a wild animal like goes for like the yeah, key 22 twenty two I can get it back you have nothing left I can get it back <laughs> yeah she grabs she tries to reach for the key tries to reach for the keynote yeah, card yeah. and he's like don't you dare grab that keynote card yeah yeah she she is great I'm really glad you you cited between that. them is like is amazing oh my like, god see there you go that their chemistry is spot on in terms of i i don't know about you guys but i grew up in the midwest and there are a lot of couples and that i grew up you know like parents that were just like them where they were happy you know they were comfortable they had made a good life for themselves but they might be the two most boring like you can't really we get to have intimate moments with their characters in this movie but if you knew this couple you'd be like are they really into each other like what why did they, <laughs> why are these two attracted to each other but yet there is a real like they nailed that they really do understand um both the actors really understood that and i think that is what i responded to the most with this movie and with a lot of Albert Brooks movies, which we should say, they're like a bunch of them are streaming on Netflix. All the now. films he directed are all streaming on Netflix, and right. most of them are great. I agreed. You'd said Defending Your Life. I would also recommend Real Life and Modern yes, Romance. Modern are Romance. Just incredible. Real Life blew me away how um, relevant that movie still is. Yeah, uh, especially with the with the way like media has been democratized. Yeah, totally, uh, totally. So yeah, worth worth saying that. But I I will just say like for me, what I love um, about Albert Brooks, the filmmaker, is. And as an actor in his movies is like, these movies could be taken so many different ways. And I'm not going to sit here and say you'll misunderstand it, but like, or some people might misunderstand it. But I think it's the kind of movie that um, his movies can draw really harsh reactions from different people because you might just think, oh, God, he like, these are awful people. 
You know, like the Albert Brooks character in Lost in America is not a very like he's a he's a decent enough guy, but he's a he sort of represents a lot of what's wrong with like white collar male privilege entitled entitled he always thinks he can get exactly always thinks he can get Mm -hmm. out of a situation he always thinks uh i would actually say this is a minor potentially problematic aspect in albert brooks movies but it might just be more representative of the time when he was really making a bunch is like his female characters can seem really thin because he is so dominant as a character in all of his movies Mm -hmm. but i think it's important like at least the way i've read a lot of them is and, and lost in america is the same thing is that Uh, these are like, he's making fun of everybody and most top of that list. His character is, I think you're supposed to really not find his character to be likable, you know, like, and there lies the key to what you're talking about. The weak female characters, one that happens when, when he's the biggest shithead in the, his character is the biggest shithead in, in most of his movies. I mean, he becomes, his characters become like when you reach towards the 90s like with defending your life become more and more likable but around this this area of like real life he's a schmuck uh he's like an opportunistic asshole who doesn't even like look at the subjects that he's shooting for this hyper real documentary as actual people Mm. uh modern romance he's kind of an asshole um and lost in america he is that he's the representation of that 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 entitled uh, white privilege of like even going out and saying like we're gonna drop off of society and we're gonna be free have you know while driving around in a giant uh, <laughs> expensive ass like what is it thirty five forty thousand dollar Winnebago? There's a whole scene and, in this movie where they go over their finances where you're just like holy shit that'd be a lot of money now if you had that you know in 2016. Yeah. Um, it's like hundred and thirty five thousand dollars and they're talking about like oh we're gonna live like Easy Rider and then there's like this really <laughs> funny really funny section where Julie Haggerty is like yes we lost all our money but so did the guys in Easy Rider they had nothing and then Albert Brooks is like what are you talking about they sold cocaine yeah people forget that. <laughs> People forget they sold cocaine. So it's like there's no real like ideological that that kind of like the the idea of that kind of complete freedom, even an easy writer, because those guys were drug dealers and they had made a lot of money to get by uh, anyway. Totally. Totally. I, I think uh, something that's, it's what I respond to so strongly in this movie and and Brooks's other uh, films that I've seen lately is he really is good at, it's not just simply making fun of these people. I think he truly understands that white male entitlement that is deeply ingrained in this country, you know, and like has existed. And because I think he just, he understands it. He's lived in it. He was, he's been a famous, rich, uh, you know, filmmaker, actor for a long time. Like he, he knows those worlds. And I think it's clear that he knows them well enough to be able to satirize them. And that's what I, um, just find so like still works so much in something like lost in America. Cause for me, this is, this is my first viewing too, but I mean, shit, this would have been a funny movie if it came out last year to me. And yeah. you, you just update Doesn't a few things. It feel like really that dated. Right. And I think because there's these truisms that I think he gets at where it's like this couple, like ultimately, I think for me, their main issue, they don't know what they want. They don't really yeah. know what they want. They kind of fell into the lifestyle that you're told you're supposed to do. And like a lot of people, they wake up when they're older and they think, oh, my God, I've, you know, I've been wasting my life. And these are things that people, you know, there are a lot of stories, a lot of American But at the same stories. time, they don't know the answer to exactly. those Exactly. They, they've yeah. not. Yeah, exactly. You nailed it. It's like they haven't done 
the they they think they're gonna go do that soul searching to find themselves, but it's almost like too late because they never did that work in the first place. So they they don't mm-hmm. know how to do it even as they're adults. Like there's a lot of talk of like we're adults. Like Albert Brooks has a line about. Early on in the RV, he's like, uh, he says something like, "Adults don't do that," or something, uh, in response to something um, Julie Haggerty says. And mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of that like talk, like these are you know adults successful um, in a big city like LA, they're like top of the food chain. But as soon as you take them out of their element, it takes less than like I was blown away that like is it like the first day, the first things go south hours? The first day instantly when they're yeah. like inst- instantly their their first op- like, like that's a great like fork in the road like the 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 first opportunity they have where Albert Brooks's character is like you know we have to go out into the nature and we have to camp and we have to get away from all this like Las Vegas and the the thing that like that pulls them in back into that that kind of materialistic world is the most materialistic place probably in the whole world so it's like that's it's just like such a perfect uh, touch for Albert Brooks to have them like spend their first night dropping out of society in the most like kind of materialistic and shallow uh, maybe the place in America is Las Vegas. And they're like they have that chance, they have the opportunity and then they kind of like chicken out of it. They're like, ah, you know, there might be bugs out there and there might be, you know, it doesn't sound really that comfortable since we're going to get and they use the excuse of like, oh, their quote unquote second marriage ceremony. Right. Uh, they use that excuse to be like, hey, let's have this lavish uh, second honeymoon where we get the bridal suit and blah, blah. And then um, and then just like you said, Eric, like they're 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 so completely out of their element that even something as basic as like someone like someone who has dropped completely out of society, someone who has to be street smart to get by in that kind of an environment would know how to bribe like a concierge at a hotel <laughs> to get like the best room available. And he to- he fucks that up so bad. And in the end, he ends up having to say like, look, I don't have any experience of this. How much money do I have to give you for it to count as enough of a bride? So you give me the bridal suit. And then, and then at the end of it, there's like this great touch. There's like this great skewering of like the, the, the kind of like Reagan era euphemisms yeah. that, that George Carlin made fun of so well where the bridal suite turns out to be the junior bridal suite. <laughs> and it's like this shitty little room with like two heart-shaped beds. And it's like there's like, there's like brilliant um, – yeah, definitely brilliant touches like that that, that kind of makes the point. Like, like you said, like you said Ed, it's, like, it's like the first night things start going south. Right. So, so they're so inexperienced. They're so like that's, and and then you start to realize that like that's not what they want. That 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 romanticized idea of what Albert Brooks wants is that it's just like doesn't exist for these people. I love that he was so like confident in the story he was telling in in the satire that he was willing to put a giant fork in the road right away. I mean, it's really kind of for me that was kind of bold. Like you you would expect like like a montage sequence first to show them maybe like for like fifteen days or something or for a month enjoying themselves, enjoying the whole thing. But no, it's it turns shitty like couple hours into their big journey and it and it comes as soon as like yeah julie Haggerty kind of just doesn't even have to sell albert brooks on it very long to be like why don't we get a hotel one more time you know we'll do our honeymoon first and it's like okay is that going to make you happy and she says yes and then he does it and it's like these are all th- those are good reasons for you know partners to take care of each other will this make you happy but it the darker undercurrent that exists in every line in the movie or any scene is that these people don't really know what's going to make them happy. They haven't done that work yet. They just started, they, they were 
they're the an example of um I think a common American out there that's like they were successful because they worked really hard, but they don't really know how to do anything else outside of that. I mean, I, I see myself in that in a lot of ways. Like if I if I didn't have um you know any money or anything like could I self sustain? I don't know. Like or yeah, it's it's like all things that like it, it's true. Like it's very human. It's very real. And I love that he can just skewer that. Like, so it's, it's so on point. Um, but I, I feel like we, we, we need to get to that, that scene we've been alluding to. Uh, I think we all know the one and it's, it's where Albert Brooks tries to get his money back. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> the scene where he asked for his money back. <laughs> uh, it's so good. And, and the sad thing is like, you understand yeah. that's like, since you like, you understand that he wants it back. And you also understand that he is very good at his job. He's very good at yeah. pitching this marketing pitch and yet at the same time that just that sheer entitlement that you talked about that's like we're not gamblers like you know we 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 made a mistake we're special we, yeah we're special like we're not like, the drink of society you're not the kind of people who go and like play could go gamble and then go see wayne newton and then he's like, gary like marshall wayne has newton. that great like he's like i like wayne newton what i'm a scumbag <laughs> it's so it's 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 so good it's just like it's it's uh did this movie on the show uh friends of eddie coyle like the oh, scene yeah. with peter boyle and the other guy where it's just like a series of like negotiations going yes. back and forth but like the side it's like it's like all one-sided and then just door slam it's just <laughs> like this 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 no <laughs> like you're funny but no yeah not, albert Brooks has zero leverage and it's just so hilarious to see him flounder like like a wounded fish in water you know he's just trying to like gasp he's doing whatever he can and it's so funny to see that desperation i think you nail it ryan is because we've seen the scene play out well beforehand like i think that's one of brooks's um gifts as a screenwriter and a director is his movies have these really long scenes or like bold structuring, like we've already referred to with lost in America or like, you know, um, he'll put forks in the road when you don't expect it, but is really just, yeah. Like the, like the scene he quits is like, it could have been been like one minute. It goes on. It's like 10 minutes long, but it's so funny the way that he just like ratchets up his meltdown. Yeah, totally. Gradually. And it's just seeing him like, Oh yeah. Like, like, because he's an advertising man, he's like, People will, you can, I, I'm just spitballing it, you know, because he's like just thinking of it in the moment. And he's like, I haven't really thought about it, but I could see you on a billboard giving us our money back. And it's so funny to just see that because dude has no leverage. And Gary Marshall, um, well, I think Gary Marshall really nails that. Like, is his what reaction shots it. is like what sells the, it's the comedy of the timing and the editing of comedy, like how hard it is and how great this one self contained scene is. Because, like, Albert Brooks is amazing, but then at the same time, Gary Marshall's reactions and the way he, he just kind of, like, gives them the answers of, like, how much of an idiot are you? Like, <laughs> this, is, this is, uh you know, this is a casino. People lose money. That's what we... <laughs> <laughs> That's where we make our money. Yeah. It's... But the way that he's just, like, matter-of-factly, as if he realizes, he as if he gradually realizes, it's like, there's there's something not right with this guy. Maybe I should talk to him as if he's a four-year-old. <laughs> And like you see that you see those wheels turning in this character's head and like Gary Marshall does like an amazing job with that as well. Definitely. I mean, that's that's kind of what feeds into the the ending that I wanted to comment on, um, because I I think it's a really dark ending. Like me, too. Me too. I, I, I think it, it might appear maybe I and Ryan, I, I would like to know more if, if you you know, if you feel like um, I'm misunderstanding what your what you were your your angle on it. But uh is like I think the goofiness maybe or the fact that it seems like they they had an option 
like an actual option, whereas most people who threw everything away like they did would would have no chance. But I do think the ending is essentially that's why that character runs away from Albert Brooks when he sees him in New York is I don't think he has a chance. Like, I think he is still at zero. You know, ne- yeah, the, the text at the end of it kind of ruins that a little bit. That's and I, I, was, I could that's see, I I could see Ryan's that. because I like I, I thought I was like, oh, this is, you know, perfectly you know, perfectly a dark ending because like, there's no way he's, he's like, he thought like he actually thought he had a chance with that guy who he told to fuck off and he's right. going to like actually give him a job. No way. And then, yeah, you're right. You know, spoilers for people who haven't seen it, that, that text crawl comes up where it's like, Oh, well he did get his job back with True. like a slightly yeah, less. I think, I think as, like, you know, it would have been. Yeah. Yeah, but it, I, just, but I, it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, I don't know. I just feel it doesn't. Like there's a there's a mixed message there. There's a yes. They're not entirely. They're still not sure what they wanted, but they went back to what they knew, right. and the That's whole, whole cycle. Right. And that is dark. But again, a lot of people who take that like we're gonna we're gonna throw everything away and we're gonna go off the grid don't have that luxury. So mm. the fact that they were so successful before that they had that luxury to go back to just seemed See, I like think, a, a tiny bit of a cop out but yeah like, like i said it's like i said i got i got mixed feelings about it i see the darkness in it and also i i almost wish it just would have ended without that text crawl just be like i, I, I totally understand that right and uh, do you want to do your rebuttal first eric or and no, then actually, I, can I was just gonna in. say yeah that generally i think it's a dark ending just in the mere fact that they decide to like just revert back to to their, yeah. the life they knew, but you, you make a really good point, Ryan. I think it would have been stronger without that that crawl at the end as well. It it would have it, been like the ending of Slapshot, personally, yes. like the way where it's yes. like they're like, ah, oh, we got to go back to playing old fashioned hockey. Wait, there's scouts out there, and then just you know, it would if it would have ended like good that, point. like it, it would have been, and without that text crawl. It would they to me would have nailed it, but yeah, I just, oh, man, you you mentioned Slapshot and you Eric is down. <laughs> I, I can't. That's, I, that's, that, that was a low blow, dude. That's you know that I, I know. mentioned I, Slapshot. Eric is gonna agree with you. I knew that. I'm like I'm gonna win this argument <laughs> solely because I'm gonna bring Slapshot up. Yeah, I bow down to to Ryan Oliver. You have you've made me smile, you, you, my friend. You dirty motherfucker. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, okay, Eric's out. So it's uh, my 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 turn for the rebuttal. Um, uh, someone pulled the Slapshot card. Um, so uh, I think in a way that text, I can I can see what you mean that that knowing if it had ended with that open ending, if he didn't know whether or not he got the job back, maybe it would have been more interesting. But I feel like the fact that he wants us to know that he went back to his old life, they went back to their old lives, uh, regardless of the fact that he got a thirty percent uh, pay cut or whatever the hell, because the the specifics and the, the the materialism of like how much they get and how much they're making now. I don't think it really matters. I think I think what what matters to me is that yes, these people don't really know what they want and they live in that kind of uh upper middle class ennui that a lot of people felt back then of feeling like oh, my life is in a rut and it's just like one predictable day after the other. And uh it almost makes it darker knowing that they, he got his job back. You know, of course he has the he now has the financial security again and they're going back to their old lives. But before they do that, they're basically kind of like they give up. They're like, so that's why to me, it feels like the final scene mirrors the final scene of of Easy Rider, because I look at it as, as almost like a similar death scene, like the uh, like like them basically saying, like, this is going to be our this drudgery is going to be our lives now until the day we die. And nothing is going to be unpredictable. Nothing is going to be interesting again. And uh, and they realize that they can't pull off 
either side of that equation. And in a way, it lets you know that that now that he got the job, now that they got that old life back, that from that point on, they're going to be miserable, just like they were at the beginning of the film. And in a way, I feel like if the text scroll said that he didn't get the job and they had to get back in the Winnebago and like just basically go out of nowhere, I feel like that would have been at least more, to me, I would have felt more excited for the characters. I would have been like, oh, who knows what's going to happen? Maybe they will find something. Mm. Maybe their lives will change. But that ending makes it it's it's it almost shows you their death it's that that whole like and the film itself the final shot is exactly like uh easy rider just pull back like a helicopter shot pulling back but instead of the actual like forest the actual jungle it's the concrete jungle right and he's just just like the dead you know the dead bikers in the middle of that in easy rider albert albert brooks is just like completely lost in the middle of it and he is back to being completely irrelevant so I, I look at it as a, as a much darker ending because of the way that albert brooks shows us how miserable they were at the beginning and now they're just going back to that yeah it's it's more the by this time in in, in america it's like the death of the soul it's like yeah everybody can these people yeah. can take care of themselves and they're in it it could even add layers to the satire of like you know these people can be financially successful, but everything else they they are lost, and it's the death of your soul, or but just their like souls are dead. Yeah, like, exactly. Like it's, it's, it's kind of like a death scene at the end. So that's why I I appreciate it a lot. But I know I know exactly what you're talking about, Ryan. When you think about like the the external conflict that they were going through, that is yes, that's that's resolved. He gets his job back. He they're financially viable again. Maybe in the future he'll get a promotion and be afford to. Uh, to buy that that Mercedes or was it a BMW or a Mercedes? A Mercedes. With Mercedes that. with like Mercedes letter. That's yeah. another like euphemism like, that was vinyl. so funny. <laughs> think vinyl. Think Mercedes. Yeah. And like um, the, the, that's the, a good the, point. The, yeah, that's funny. that's a good point about the uh, the helicopter shot, like actually mirroring Easy Rider. I didn't I didn't think about that, but that's something that's totally there. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, and, and also there's the you know the mirroring of the the board to be wild with the Winnebago, and I think he's yeah. making the point that like this guy wants to be like you know because in in Easy Rider you see these like these badass guys with the with the uh, the motorcycles out on the open road, and with this one you see like this boring fucking upper middle class couple surrounded by the safety of this giant forty thousand dollar Winnebago, and so the song. And the, that that tracking shot across the highway doesn't have the same kind of weight to it, you know. No. <laughs> Albert Brooks does not look cool doing anything usually. When he gives a thumbs up to the actual biker, the biker <laughs> just flips him off. <laughs> Which is a callback to Easy Rider too. Near the end, it, it's not a thumbs up, but uh, some the truck drivers go by Dennis Hopper and he flips them off too, and that's kind of what uh, you know starts the the ending really. So, yeah. so Albert true. Brooks is almost saying that the, the main characters of this film are the squares. Yeah, that, totally. That, that the characters in Easy Rider hated. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's so that that's a, that's a great little like that little scene with the biker flipping him off kind of makes that the whole point of the movie right there in a way. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I think I think that's Brooks's gift as as a filmmaker. He's a, like I get why um Judd Apatow is so deeply indebted. Like people write about Judd Apatow's movies that he's sort of the new Albert Brooks or the new James L. Brooks. Like. I, I, you see what he's going for in his stuff, but never can quite achieve. Like I've been pretty impressed going back and watching a lot of these Albert Brooks movies on Netflix for, uh, for that reason to just see like, Oh man, like you see the influence his movies like have had 
um, a heavy influence on other filmmakers like Judd Apatow and others, um, just like Easy Rider. But Lost in America for me is is a really good pick because I think you had said um, when you announced these picks on a previous episode, Octa, that like this is essentially the parody of Easy Rider, and um, it's one of those examples where I think I think it might be the 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 more entertaining uh, film that's kind yeah, maybe of, not better or more you know like so different yeah yeah more revolu- as revolutionary as 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 Easy Rider is they're they're very different films, but yeah, I would say I would definitely say more entertaining and better paced, and bringing up Judd Apatow, at least Albert Brooks knows how to pace a movie. It's <laughs> 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 a good point. It's a good point. So with that, uh, as much as I love Judd Apatow, but you know, <laughs> so what do you guys think? Um, is, is, this seems like as good a spot as any to wrap it up. What do you say? Yeah, let's do let's this shit. All right, all right. Well, um, uh, so yeah, you can find all our episodes at the playlist.net. Over Under Movies is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network, and we have our other shows on there, uh, like Adjust Your Tracking, which I am on as well, and the uh, cleverly titled Playlist Podcast. And we just uh, premiered a new TV show, a TV podcast called Bingeworthy. So uh, hopefully we'll we'll be adding on more shows in the future, but it's very exciting to be bringing on a new one into the fold. And uh, yeah, find all these episodes over at theplaylist.net. You can find us on the Playlist Podcast iTunes feed and on uh, SoundCloud as well. Um, And yeah, with that, I'm signing off. I'm Eric McClanahan, uh, podcast editor for The Playlist. I'm Ryan Oliver, a contributor here at theplaylist.net. Eric, you forgot to say the third all right in that all right, all right. (laughs) <laughs> uh, <All right. laughs> and this is uh, Octavia Kozak, uh, film critic and contributor at The Playlist, DVD Talk, Oregon Herald, and BayAsperta.com. And you can also find us on Twitter at OverUnderMovies and on Facebook.com slash OverUnderMovies. Excellent. Yeah, check that stuff out. Let us uh, give us some feedback if you can. We would appreciate that. And uh, before we do completely sign off, I need to uh, announce my titles for the next episode. And we'll be kicking off maybe a little bit before October. We'll see when we get this episode in the can. But uh, I'm going to be starting our, you know, Halloween-themed, not necessarily scary movies, but Halloween-themed, Halloween-appropriate movies for for this month of October. And I'm going to start us on a really, uh, a real harsh note. I'm going, I'm going a double feature of uh, French New Extremity, which was a very brief sort of uh, uh, movement or just series of movies that a lot of critics lumped together in the mid 2000s that um, were coming from France. And they were uh, pretty bold, uh, extremely hyper violent uh, horror movies that that came about. And um, I'm going to go with my underrated is the home invasion movie Inside and the overrated will be high tension. So high tension seems to be that one that everybody kind of uses as the landmark for this uh, crop of films. But I would argue that inside, and I will argue on the next episode that inside is the one that should be probably. Yeah. Looking so, forward to that. so yeah, I know you guys are, you know, wondering about my mental health with all these choices I've been making lately with the, with the, with the movies, but I assure you, yeah, I have to taxidermia and all that. Yeah. Ne- your, your next pick has to be like the Barney movie or something, <laughs> something with rainbows and lollipops. Well, I'll, yeah, I'll exactly. figure it out, but uh, yeah, I wanted to go dark and uh real hard, extreme horror, but um, yeah, it should be, it should be a fun one to go in uh, to dive into because there's some crazy shit that happens in both these movies and um, I'm sure we'll dive into it. So, and, and it, I think it's uh it will be good to note that in this, this Halloween section that we do usually like three episodes during October, uh, each one of us basically picks our overrated or underrated uh, like horror or, you know, Halloween themed uh, movie. Yep. We did that last year. So we're going to, we're going to do that again this year. 
The tradition continues. I like it. Yeah. So, yeah. Look for that uh, in the coming weeks when we have that next episode and we'll uh, we'll kick off that October themed um, over under episode. So uh, check back in next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>